If you would, let's turn to Isaiah. Isaiah 52, verse 13. I want to read verses 52, verse 13 to 53, verse 6. Behold, my servant will prosper, for he will be high and exalted, lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of the parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. No appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The word of the Lord. Um, I am very glad that last week when I got up on Saturday morning and couldn't make coffee that Brian Blacklock, our intern, could come and preach. <laughs> and I told him on Saturday morning to, to preach the next day, and it was. Uh, he said, that'll be fine. And I said, well, what do you want to preach on? He said, I'm going to preach on your passage. I said, well, go ahead. <laughs> so you're going to get another sermon on this passage. But I told him we'll probably treat it different. And that's just fine. And I was really glad that Eric could step up to the plate and preach for us on Sunday night. So thank you, Eric. But this week and next week, I'm just going to stay on the path. And I think this sermon is a resurrection sermon, just like next week we'll preach another sermon on the next part of this passage. But we're going to talk about the work that Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection from the dead from Isaiah 52, 13. Through, through Isaiah 53, verse 12. And the first words that we see the prophet say right here, the first thing he says is, Behold, my servant. Now up to this point, there's been three servant songs, and this is the fourth and the final servant song in the book of Isaiah. And the first question is this, Behold, my servant. Who is this servant? Well, in order to answer this question, we're going to run to Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, we have the story that Luke is telling us. Remember, Luke writes Luke and Acts. And in Acts chapter 8, we have an Ethiopian eunuch. He's in a really, really nice chariot, and he's reading in his hands Isaiah 53. <laughs> and he's there reading. Now, now, he's a court official of a queen named Candace. 
He's probably very wealthy. And one of the reasons we know we think he's probably pretty wealthy is back in those days, nobody had a text of Scripture. This man has his own text of Isaiah 53. And he's reading it, and uh, he he's probably understands some of what he's reading, but he's not understanding all of it. And so God, I always like to say, we could say God parachutes Philip down into the chariot. This is a man in Acts chapter 8 who's been preaching to the Samaritans. They've been coming to Christ. He's a powerful, not just a great deacon, but he's a powerful evangelist. And so there he is standing in front of this Ethiopian eunuch, and this is what he says. Sir, do you understand what you are reading? Well, how can I, the Ethiopian eunuch says, unless somebody guides me? Please tell me, of whom does this prophet speak? Of himself or of somebody else? And this, this, this is what the Philip says to him. And this is what, listen to me, this is what every man in a pulpit right now in the world should be doing. He should be saying from this text that he preached Jesus Christ. He preaches the gospel. He doesn't preach about all these nice things we can talk about. There's a lot of nice things to talk about. But we got to talk about Jesus Christ. we got to talk about the gospel. And he preaches Christ to him from this text. This text is about Jesus. Who's the pro- who is this? Who's this servant? Well, Jesus is this servant. The answer is Jesus, right? And this is God's servant. My servant. And we can say that God owns this servant. This is God's own son. Now, I like the passage we always talk to the kids about, especially about the, tri- the Trinity. God says when Jesus is being anointed by the Holy Spirit, this is who? My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This servant is God's own servant. He owns him. This is God's own Son. And the next thing I want you to take notice of, not only is he God's servant, but he is a divine servant. Verse 13b says, He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. That's divine language. This is a servant who is God. Now, we see this kind of language used of the servant all the way through Isaiah. But in Isaiah chapter 6, remember Isaiah is being called to be the prophet of God. And God says, who will go for me? And so he says, here I am, send me. The first words of, this, of that text in verse 1 of Isaiah 6 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Who is this person? We just said it was Jesus. In John 12, 41, John the apostle who leans on Jesus' breast, you know what he says about this passage? He says, Isaiah was seeing Jesus' glory. So don't just trust me, trust Philip, trust John 12, 41, trust John who knew who he's talking about. This Jesus is divine. He's also man. Just throw that in your hat for a second. In verse 14, it says he was a, his appearance was marred more than any man. Verse 3 of chapter 53, he's a man. And this person, Jesus, he is successful. He's divine, he's human, and he's successful. It says, behold, my servant will prosper. The word prosper means successful. It means he's wise enough to know how to get the job done. He knows what's coming. He knows out here in the end he has to go to the cross and he's wise enough to use all the proper means to get to that end when at the proper time. Jesus always was talking about it's not my time and then he came to that time. He's going to be successful. These first three verses in uh, chapter 52 are about this successful servant. We're going to talk about a few things in a minute where it doesn't, he doesn't look successful. But he's going to prosper. He's going to sprinkle many nations. 
And here when he talks about sprinkling many nations, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and bringing them together through his own blood being sprinkled on them. He will rise from the dead. He will be observed and misunderstood for so long, only so long. And then he will be observed and he will be understood. And people, he, they will be sprinkled by his blood. Those who have, they had seen and not understood, they will begin to understand what he came to do. He's not going to look successful though. Look at verse 14. His appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. This servant is going to be successful, but he's going to look defeated. He's going to look like anything but successful. He will not look victorious. In fact, he's going to be repulsive. Our text says marred, disfigured. People are going to look at him at the end of all that happens to him on the cross, and they're not going to wonder, is this him? One, one commentator says, they're going to wonder, if, is, if this, is this a human being? Is this a human being? He's going to be so beaten. But he's going to sprinkle. He's going to set apart persons and people. He's going to cleanse them with his own blood. You know, I was talking to Ben a while ago. I told him, I said, I might use this in my sermon. Every time, folks, I see a computer and water around it or a computer and coffee around it, I get really sick to my stomach. Because I know that if your coffee falls onto your computer, you don't just lose a day, you lose a whole week. (laughs) You have a bad, not a bad day, but a bad week. And so I'm always thinking, anytime I see my computer, it's always separated from drinks. And if I see your computer and a drink beside your computer, I'm going to probably walk over and just kind of move it over about four feet. Well, Jesus is going to sprinkle his people clean. He's going to treat them like they're sanctified computer, like we treat our computers and keep Jesus loves his people. He's going to do this and it's going to be such a surprise. This success that won't look like a success, a success, it's going to be such a surprise. Notice what it says there. Have you ever thought about kings will shut their mouths on account of him? What in the world does that mean? Kings are going to shut their mouths. I hope we understand that by the end of this point. <laughs> They're going to be dumbfounded. They have never seen this. They've never understood this. And then all of a sudden they're going to see it. And they're going to understand it. They're going to see this person suffer so much, beaten so badly, look so unsuccessful, and then all of a sudden they're going to put their hands over their mouths because he's going to stand up, he's going to be a priest, and what does a priest do? A priest sprinkles people clean, not with the the judgment they deserve, but with the forgiveness they don't deserve. Kings putting their their hands over their mouths. This is what a priest does. This is what a priest does. He comes and he does bloody work. He he cuts animals' throats. He takes blood and sprinkles it on altars. He dismembers bodies for different uh, parts of, uh, you know, different uh, sacrifices meant people could actually eat some of the meat. He's doing bloody work. And this priest, he is going to cause us all to, be so surprised that we don't get exactly what we deserve. That's, there's nothing to be surprised about when you take your uh, cookies out of the cookie jar and your mama told you not to, and you get a spanking for it. There's no surprise there. The surprise is when you don't get what you deserve. And that's what's going to be so surprising, to find the forgiveness for your sins when you don't deserve it at all. Well, how can God's servant success help you today? Well, let's just start where we just left off. It can help you by recovering a sense of awe 
and a sense of surprise at the gospel itself. Stop now and be shocked and be in awe. We have a servant who belongs to God the Father. We have a servant who's divine, a son of God. He is a man who comes and he will be successful, but he won't look like it. But he will be, and he's going to be a priest, and he's going to sprinkle you clean with forgiveness and not give you what you deserve. And you and I, we need to stand back like these kings, put our hands over our mouths, and be shocked about it. I like to tell this story. I think um, Xavier back there, you're going to hear this story again, son, okay? Xavier back there got his big head of hair. There he is. And so we've been going through the book together. The confessing Christ together. And I tell this story over and over every time we talk, go through confessing Christ for a new members class. So there's a tribal chief. And this tribal chief is known. I read this 32 years ago. I still just meditate on it all the time. This tribal chief is known for his justice. He's known for meeting out justice if the law is broken. But he's also known for his love and for his mercy. And everybody loves this tribal chief so much. And then one day in the midst of the life of the, of the tribe, some, a loaf of bread goes missing. And then the next day, another loaf of bread goes missing out of a window. And the third day, another loaf of bread goes missing out of the window. And people are walking around going, Don't, doesn't the person know that if they get caught for, for stealing a loaf of bread, that they will be, their hands will be tied to a whipping post and they'll receive 40 less one lashes? Don't, don't they know this? The next day, another loaf goes missing. Who's stealing this bread? They're wondering. The fifth day comes and it comes to, they come to find out that it's the tribal chief's mother. Well, now the tribal chief's on the horns of a dilemma. What's he going to do? You see, if he meets out justice, his mom has to be tied to that post and she has received the 39 lashes. And that's justice, but they're all asking, where would the mercy be? And then they're all saying, well, surely he's going to side on the side of mercy. And then they'll say, but where will the justice be? And so they don't know what he's going to do, but they all pretty much think that the, that the, the man is not going to put his mom on that whipping post. He's just going to give her a pardon. But they're all wondering, where will the justice be? And so the day came for the tribal chief to bring about the justice. And he told them to tie her hands to that post, and they did. And he told that man to pull that whip out who could crank that thing out and tear people's backs to bits. He told him to get ready, and he told him to begin. And right when he reared his arm back, that tribal chief placed his hands over his mother's hands. He placed his back between his mother's back and that man, and he took every single one of those lashes for his mother. He was destroyed on her behalf. He was brutalized on her behalf. He was marred and disfigured on her behalf, and all the tribes said justice and mercy is kissing together. This is how it happens. They all put their hands over their mouths. You know, we have a song, let us love and let us sing and wonder. And see, I wasn't here, but this was in, in the service last week, so let me use it for a second. We have this song, John Newton wrote, let us love and sing and wonder. And then he says here, justice smiles and asks no more. It's all been poured out on him. It all got poured out on Jesus. Justice smiles. It says, okay, that's enough. 
Mercy goes out to all those who believe in Jesus Christ. Friends, listen, let me ask you something. Do you understand justice and mercy meets on the cross? They kiss together. Are you guilty of sin? Let me ask you. How many loaves of bread have you stolen? How many loaves of bread have you stolen? How many sins have you committed? How much punishment do you deserve? And here on the cross, Jesus gets every blow for you who puts your faith and trust in Him. We need to put our hands over our mouth. Well, let's ask this question again. How can God's servant success help you today? Well, you need to know this. No matter how despised and gory, no matter how repulsive Jesus was, He was successful. He rose from the dead. He walked around for 40 days and people saw Him. One, one time, over 500 people saw Him at once. He prepared His disciples to preach the gospel. He ascended to the right hand of God and He rules and reigns and there His robe is filling the temple even now. He conquered all of our, all of His enemies. Those are great words from our, our shorter catechism. And even now he rules and reigns. What we need to understand at this point is this. He's not just wanting us to understand we're sprinkled clean with forgiveness and we don't get what we deserve, but he wants us to understand he's involved in each and every one of our individual lives. Some of us, man, you know, I could give y'all a list. Couldn't we? We talked on Sunday night. We put a list together and we pray through it about some of the agonies this group of people has gone through. We've got three people who have had back pains. I'm fooling every one of you right now. Brian's not fooling as much as I am. And then Pastor Sumter, his back's hurt. And then we have people who are going through job situations. And then we have people who are going through house situations. And we have one who got to go live at Surfside for five months. Sometimes, sometimes we might think that we're, in, we're, we're falling And there's no floor to stop us. But this person wants us to know, this servant, he gets off of his throne and proves his love for us. He will show his arm. He will show his hand. He's not going to let anybody hit the bottom on the ground. He's going to put a floor in your your falling pit. He's not going to let you hit the ground. He only will let us fall so long. He will only let us fall so far until he grabs hold of us. Listen to this. Listen to him, 75. Oh, Father, you are sovereign. You're the Lord of earthly pain. He's the Lord of it. He can stop it. He can allow it for so long, and then he'll stop it. Transmuting earthly sorrows. Listen to me, guys. Listen, y'all need to hear this. Transmuting earthly sorrows to gold. He can take your sorrows and turn this to gold. This is great. All evil, he overrules it as none but conqueror could. Your love pursues its purpose. Well, what is his love's purpose? Our soul's eternal good. He's not just wanting you to know that you're forgiven. He's wanting you to know that he's part of your individual life right now. And he is the one who rules and reigns over all the agonies and the pains that we are going through. He moves heaven and earth to do us good. Well, second, as we move to verses 1 through 3 in chapter 53, we're going to see God's servant is observed and misunderstood. And those three verses, Israel is confessing their unbelief. Remember that passage, it says there in verse uh, verse 1, he says, Who has believed this? 
Who's believed this message? And so what they're going to do is moan over the fact that they observed him and misunderstood him for so long. And we have to ask the question, why do they misunderstand what they observed? Well, the first reason I'm going to give you is this. He's just so human. He's just so like you. Most of us, like tonight, we're going to talk about David. David killed Goliath and he went up to, he was number one on the billboards. Number one on all the charts. Most of us aren't number one on all the charts. We're just so human. And Jesus was just a tender shoot, we see here in verse 2. He, he had a natural human experience. My wife, you know, I did, you know what I did this past week? I sit on the couch in the morning when nobody's up. Everybody's totally asleep when I'm up. I've got the old man's syndrome. I get up early before everybody, anything stirs, not even a mouse. And so I'm sitting there and I start looking around the house and I start going. I think there's at least a hundred things growing in my house that I'd never thought about. There's all these little shoots popping out of the dirt. And my wife is growing and she's walking. I see her every now and then. I'm going, what's she doing? She's watering this one, watering this one. There's at least a thousand of them in there, it seems like to me. And they're so quiet. Nobody, they're not saying a word. They're not attracting me to them. And then all of a sudden I take note of them. There they are. Jesus was growing up before the Lord, but he was not growing up like Prince Charles before the world. Yeah, everybody knows who Prince Charles is, right? There's Queen Elizabeth and there's Prince Charles. And we know that Prince Charles is going to be King Charles until one day when she dies. Well, now he is King Charles. But we all knew about him, but we don't know about Jesus. He's so, he's so quiet, so human. He was like a root in parched ground. He had a traceable human history. He had a mom and a dad and grandparents, brothers and sisters. In fact, I like to say this. You know, Nathaniel, when he found out about Jesus from Philip, you know what he said? Nothing good comes out of where Jesus grew up. <laughs> Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. He's just so human, and he's also so unimpressive. You know, you would think the Messiah here in verse 2, he, he would have some stately form, but he had no stately form. You would think that the Messiah would have majestic form, but he has no majestic form to speak of. When you see the book, when you go back and you look at Exodus and you look at Moses, when Moses was born, you know what they say about Moses? He was a beautiful baby. The kids last night were watching Prince of Egypt and there was Moses in that basket. Beautiful baby. And when we go and we talk about David, David's brought in from the fields, from the shepherd fields, and he's brought in before Samuel. Remember the other seven? These are not the guy to be anointed. David's standing in front of Samuel. He's the one with the heart after God. And they say this, he was ruddy and he was handsome. But Jesus was not impressive. In fact, Jesus does miracles in front of his disciples, and I think he just walks around scratching his head half the time. Because he does all these things and they just don't seem like it makes any impact. <laughs> he does all these things and they come up to that time. We, we studied a few weeks ago about the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus is testing them and he says, uh, you give them something to eat. And they go, okay, well, let me go. Let's go see we, how much money we got. How much money we got. And then they go out and they think, okay, we got a guy with five loaves and two fish. But, I mean, how much is that for all these people? They should have looked at him and said, you feed them. You can walk on water. You can do this, but they're just always misunderstanding him. I mean, we even get to a point where John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, he says this. He sends his disciples and says this. Hey, are you the coming one? Or are we supposed to look for somebody else? Nobody's understanding who he is. Not even John the Baptist. So human, so unimpressive. And all this 
results in his rejection. Look at verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. He was shunned. Isn't there a movie called The Shunning? He was shunned. They put him on human scales and he went like this. He's, he's up weight, weightless. <laughs> weightless. We esteemed him not. We considered him of no value. He doesn't pass the beauty test. He doesn't pass the royalty test. He doesn't pass the magnetism test. He doesn't pass any test. He's a nobody. Now we, I want you to look at verses 4 through 6. Something begins to happen. We move from observing and misunderstanding to observing and understanding in verses 4 through 6. What happened? From rejection to reception, from darkness to light, what happened as we move from verse 3 to verse 4? What happens? Well, the lights turn on. They begin to understand what they didn't understand at first. It says here, we got his sufferings all wrong. His lack of beauty and his lack of majesty and magnetism. We shunned him. We rejected him. We looked at him and we said, he is stricken of God. Smitten. And stricken of God. Think about the story about Job. Job, in the first two chapters, Job's going through a terrible, terrible time. At the end of chapter 2, he's scraping his sores. His wife's telling him to, to uh, you know, reject God and die. Moment of weakness. And then his friends come and they're standing in front. They sit in front of him for seven days. The best thing they do is they stay completely silent. And then when they open their mouths, they go, you know what, you're getting exactly what you deserve because nobody ever, ever is going to be punished like this who, who doesn't deserve it. That's what's happening to Jesus on the cross. This guy's getting exactly what he deserved. Nobody would be penetrated with nails and on their feet and their hands and pierced in their side who doesn't deserve it. And at the end of Job, you remember what happens? God tells those three friends who said, you're sinning, Job. So he tells them they were sinful and he asked Job to pray for them. Because you got it wrong, boys. And these folks are saying, we got this suffering all wrong. And they realize they got it wrong. You didn't bring this on yourself. His sufferings are for us. Did you see what it says there? Did you see the, all, the, all the pronouns? Our griefs. I think he's drawing us into this text. Surely our griefs he himself bore. Surely our sorrow he himself carried. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was chastened for our well-being or for our peace. The Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He is a substitute. He stepped into the gap for these people, for even us. This is our sinful condition. At first, we got it wrong. We thought he was getting what he deserved. But now we see that he's suffering and he's bleeding and he's dying for, for us. <laughs> well, what did they do that they deserved to bleed, that he deserved to bleed and suffer for them? What did he do? What did they do? Well, they tell us. Did you see that in verse 4? He says, our transgressions. Verse 5. Our iniquities. He says, our peace, our well-being. Every 
All of these things. Listen to what these folks begin to admit. Transgressions. Folks, listen, you know what? A transgression is rebellion. It means there's a requirement out there and I refuse to do it. It means there's a prohibition out there and I decided I'll just step over the line anyway because I'm going to. I'm a rebel, rebel and that's what they admit. Here's the, here's the one that's even mo- more painful is the word iniquity. Now we say iniquity, we say it really quickly and we don't think anything of it. But you know what iniquity means? It means perverted. I don't like anybody to say I'm perverted. These guys admit they're perverted. We're twisted. When we fell in Adam, we're twisted. He says we admit our, they admit their alienation. He was chastened for our well-being, for their, for, for their peace, for our peace. There's no peace between ourselves and God. And to eliminate this hostility, Jesus goes to the cross and He is punished in our place. And that opens up a way of peace. We admit we are broken. By His scourging we are healed. This is amazing. Somebody has to be broken so that we can be put back together. We admit our waywardness. We admit we're sheep who have gone astray. You know, we've studied in in the men's group. Here we are. Here's somebody admitting early on before um, Carl Truman wrote his book, Strange New World, or as Mr. Harris would say, Same Old World. Here's the, the expressive individualist. I went my own way. This is what it looks like when the light come on, the lights come on in, a, in the heart of a sinner. We observe Jesus and we misunderstand. And we observe Jesus and we misunderstand. You know, Spurgeon, I don't know, it was 1,700 sermons he said he listened to until he understood who Jesus was. 1,700 sermons he has it figured out. Observed and misunderstood. Observed and misunderstood. I've heard it preached and preached and preached. Observed and I didn't understand. And then the lights come on. And it's like this text. Isaiah is, he's putting us in the text. <laughs> this is what Rembrandt got. He, this is what Rembrandt did. Rembrandt painted a picture and it's called the raising of the cross. And in this portrait, the raising of the cross, he paints Jesus. He paints the criminals. He paints Mary and, and John. He paints the Romans. He paints the Jews. And at the bottom, you know what he does? He puts himself in the painting. He got it. You see, I was there. I would have said, you're guilty too. He painted himself there. Have you painted yourself into the picture? And you know what happens when you paint yourself into the picture? When you start seeing this, you don't go say, you don't say, oh yeah, I've sinned, I'll ask God to forgive me. What you do is you pile on. Now we all know what piling on is, don't we? We all see it every day. This news, this news commentator says this about somebody, and then by the end of the day, 40 people say the same thing 20,000 times more. They just pile on against the guy, whoever they said something against. And when you see this light, you say to yourself, you don't just say, I've sinned. You say, I've transgressed. You say, I've broken God's requirements. You say, I've uh, disobeyed his prohibitions. You say, I'm twisted. You say, I deserve to be alienated from God. You say, I deserve the wrath of God. You say, I'm a wayward sheep. You say, I I need somebody to put their hands over my hands and I need somebody to shield my back from what I deserve and I need this priest to sprinkle me clean with forgiveness. You say, I need somebody to surprise me with mercy. Are you doing it? Are the lights on? You know, I... I, uh, 
I remember when I was like 16 years old and I was listening to Charlie Hustle uh, on the radio out in a camping trip. And he was hitting for, I think, trying to get the 44th hit. I think he had some, I can't remember where he stopped. But he was, Charlie Hustle, Pete Rose, was on his 44th game to get a, a hit in 44 games. And he just kept on going. And um, I was so excited about Pete Rose because he's such a, you know, competitive person and all. And um, Pete Rose, he is the all-time Major League Baseball hit leader. He hit 4,256 hits. Well, he gets really excited when anybody crosses the 3,000 barrier. This guy has 4,256 hits. But you know what? He's not in the Hall of Fame. And you know why? Because he got caught gambling on baseball. And they won't let people who gamble on baseball get in the Hall of Fame. This is what he said. Wished it didn't happen. I can't change it. I'm just looking for a second chance. Listen to me, folks. Major League Baseball Hall of Fame hasn't given him a second chance. No second chance for you, Pete. But if you come and you admit your sins, (laughs) if you come to Jesus Christ, He came to do this. He came to sprinkle you clean. He came to be involved in your life. He came to give you His arms and His hand, hold on to you, and in His hand, He came to do this. No second chance for you, Pete. But Jesus gives us all forgiveness if we come to Him and we admit and we understand who He is. Listen to these words. Are you holding on to this sacred head that was wounded with grief and shame weighed down? To carry away your sins. Was He despised and gory for you? To provide a second chance for you. Do you, as the hymn says, do you call Him mine Or are you observing Jesus and still misunderstanding Him? If you're not calling Him mine, then ask Him to turn the lights on. Ask Him to teach you what it means to be painted into the picture so that you can joy, the writer says, to joy to call thee mine. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank You for... Your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for this head that can be grabbed upon and held on to for salvation and forgiveness and for a second chance. Thank you for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead who defeated all our enemies, especially sin and Satan. Thank you for this Jesus of ours who who on the cross took out his smooth stone and struck sin and Satan in the head and killed them both dead and overcame these enemies for us. We praise you for the life that we have in Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that we might have our eyes open wide and that we might walk in newness of life this day and enjoy the resurrection life that you give us. We praise you for being a person who cleanses us of our sin and who's also so radically involved in every aspect of our lives. Help us walk now with you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.